You're listening to the Stronger Than Before podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Johnston. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode. Today is going to be a really exciting episode because we have a guest. Uh, We have Courtney today joining us. Um, Courtney is a student nurse currently and she's going to share a really inspiring journey of her diagnosis with celiac at the age of 19 and then just a bunch of other really good advice and information. Uh, So welcome, Courtney. (laughs) Really excited to have you. Thank you so much, Michaela. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I've been really excited about this for uh, quite a bit. Yeah, we've been talking about (laughs) doing this episode for a long time, so I'm really excited to finally be doing it. Yeah, me too. So a little bit about me. I just, I'm here at nursing school, and I really wanted to be a nurse because of my journey with getting diagnosed with celiac. It really opened my eyes to a lot of different parts of the healthcare system that people can be involved in at any point in their lives. Um, My first, I guess, symptoms started in high school. I began having some GI problems. Uh, For those of you that don't know, celiac disease is an autoimmune disease where whenever you eat gluten, which is a protein found in wheat and barley and rye, uh, whenever you eat gluten, your intestines kind of get destroyed by your immune system. It's not a very fun process. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not a good time. I I can tell you that. Um, yeah, and so the thing is celiac disease has over 215 symptoms and they're all very similar to about every other GI disease you can think of. Um, Mm. because honestly, when your GI system is messed up, it just, there's not much that you can see. I mean, you know, (laughs) like... Take a long time to like narrow it down to celiac. I'm assuming since there's so many symptoms. Definitely, it did. Cause, um, I mean, you know, you got for me, my symptoms were horrible stomach pains, uh, mainly after I ate, and it would feel like almost like I was digesting blades in my stomach. It oh was just really sharp, and yeah, <laughs> not like a not like any stomach ache I'd ever felt before. But that's kind of hard to explain, yeah. right? Like, well, that's pretty intense imagery right there. So. <laughs> yeah, and then I also, I was, like, losing a lot of weight. I was losing a lot of hair. Um, and actually, some of my symptoms began years before I started having these, um, like, stomach problems. My first, I think my first symptom was actually horrible menstrual cramps and really heavy menstrual bleeding. Which it turns out is really common with celiac disease because um, when your intestine is destroyed, it destroys these little cells called cilia that that absorb nutrients from the food that you are digesting. And so if those are getting mowed down, to kind of think of it like (laughs) blades of grass with a lawnmower, there's, you know, they lose a lot of that surface area to absorb those nutrients. And when you don't have nutrients, you can't build proteins very well. And proteins um, 
are the basis of a lot of hormones and so can cause a lot of hormonal problems as well. And so I was having a lot of those problems. I also became lactose intolerant, which I know a lot of people are, but that is actually a symptom of celiac disease specifically. And so at the time, though, I just was like, oh, whatever, I'll pop some lactate and live my life. (laughs) (laughs) But then it kind of got more severe where lactate wasn't helping as much. And so I just kind of went off dairy altogether. Um, Once I graduated high school that that summer after and I was preparing to go to college, my the pains got so much more intense. I would wake up in the night all the time. I just felt nauseous anytime I ate. I just was really not feeling good. And so I was I jumped on Google, as everyone does. Yes, of course, WebMD. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> um, and I think I looked at Mayo Clinic and was looking at causes of, you know, stomach issues. Mm-hmm. And it talked about, you know, if you are have lactose intolerant, that can cause... If, if you're lactose intolerant, then ingesting dairy can cause some upset. Um, and then it also mentioned gluten was another really common one. I was like, what in the world is gluten? <laughs> so I did some research and I decided to just go off of gluten and see how I felt. Um, so then I, in that fall, I started college and now cutting out gluten and dairy, I was feeling a lot better, but not totally better. So I was doing some more research and I found out that there is something called celiac disease where the internet described it as a more severe form of gluten intolerance and it recommended that you go to the doctor because you could get a blood test to see if it was celiac disease or if you just maybe couldn't digest gluten. Okay, and at this point, had you been tested yet? Had I had not. Had you gone to a doctor at all? Mm-mm. So this was mostly your own research that you were doing. It was, yes. I'm cursed with the curious nature. <laughs> well, no, that's, I would say that's more a blessing than a curse. I think so too, most of the time. <laughs> and in this case, it definitely was a blessing. That's um, good. Yeah, and so I finally decided I was going to go to a doctor, and I was going to school out of state, and so I just kind of went to the first clinic that I found and the first doctor that was available, and I at that appointment, I told him my concerns, and it was not a good experience. Really? Oh, no. <laughs> it wasn't. Um, I had actually, because of my heavy periods and because of how bad it got in high school it got to the point where I was blacking out oh my goodness yes in high school in high school I would and I worked at an elementary school in an after-school program and I sometimes when I was on my period I would be standing up and just you know black dots everywhere and I was just like this is not good I'm losing way too much blood and so my doctor had me start on birth control pills, which really helped a lot. And this doctor, when I visited him, um, the one in the first clinic I went to, he was like, you shouldn't be on birth control. And I was like, I'm, no, I'm sticking with it. He was trying to convince me to go off of it. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm going to stick with it because this is what's helping me function as a human being. Right. You were the one who knew what it was like before. Exactly. You didn't want to go back. And I mean, no offense, but this man had never had a period in his life. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I did not take his advice on that. And I explained my 
um, I explained my concerns. And at this point, too, I right before I went and saw him, I had been really sick just kind of randomly. And I had lost about 11% of my body weight in three weeks. Wow. So I was really concerned. And I wasn't, you know, changing my eating habits at all. Like, I wasn't eating any less than I usually did. So I knew something was wrong. And he just kind of put his clipboard down and, and said, honestly, I think this is all in your head. Oh my goodness. He didn't. He did. <sighs> and he said, are you getting enough, enough attention in your relationships? I am <laughs> rolling my eyes so hard right now. That literally makes me so mad. <laughs> oh, I was furious. I maybe wasn't very kind to him <laughs> after he told me That's that. deserved. Yeah, and I just thought, why in the world are you a doctor if you were going to just kind of make comments like that? But I insisted that something was wrong, and it wasn't just in my head. And Good. Good <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> and so there, there's a blood test that you can do. Um, it's called a celiac panel, and it tests for the levels of these different antibodies. And these antibodies are the ones that attack your immune system, and they're pretty specific to celiac disease. Um, and so I asked him to order that panel, and he did. So I went to the lab, got my blood drawn. Uh, the lab said, call back in four days for your results. I said, cool. Four days later, I call back for my results, and there is a sweet, sweet lab technician, and he looked at my chart, and he said, what did you say your blood test was for? I said, oh, it was a celiac disease panel. It should be some kind of, you know, TTG um, antibodies. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, well, the blood test that, he, that your doctor ordered and that we did for you was a lactose intolerance panel. And so he's like, I think you should make another appointment with the doctor and uh, see what's going on in case he might have to reorder it. If it went through wrong, maybe you clicked the wrong button. Yeah. I don't know. So I went back to the doctor. Um, the closest appointment was about five days later. And at that point, too, in the meantime, I'd started getting pretty sick um, with, like, more respiratory problems. Um, Can I just say that must have been so scary to like, <laughs> keep getting sick and keep having all these symptoms with like your period and many other things. And just to be told it's in your head. That must have been so scary. Oh, it was. It really was. And it made me really upset because I mean, you know, especially now in nursing school, sometimes, you know, people do exaggerate things and sometimes right. people do fake things. But that's honestly from what I've seen, and of course I have limited experience, but that's much more often the exception than the norm. Okay, yeah. And, but also it's something they, they're teaching us that I really like is as a healthcare provider, trust your patient because your patient knows their body better than you do. That's, yeah. You may know the basic <laughs> outline, like, yes, I know how many muscles you have, <laughs> but how do your muscles work on your body, you know? Right. Um, so that, yeah, that was, it was much more infuriating than I bet I thought it would be. So after he, so he ordered the lactose intolerant one. Yes. So did you go back after? So I did. About that? Yes. So this appointment, five days after I called the lab, he, I, I told him what the lab 
technician had told me and the doctor was like oh no I ordered you the right test kind of looked at his folder he was like oh it's negative you're fine and I was suspicious sounds really fishy yeah what's going on here (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh definitely um in the meantime you know at this point I had lost my voice and my throat was really sore and so I asked him if while I was there you know I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Can I get, like, a flu test or something? He tested for flu. He tested for, uh, like, RSV, a couple other respiratory viruses, and it all came back negative. So he's like, oh, just go home, drink some water. You'll be good in a few days, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just so confused by this man. What's going on? I know. I'm... I don't know. I know that it takes all kinds of people to make the world go around. (laughs) But also, certain types of people should be in healthcare. Certain types of people should not be in healthcare. And I think I've decided he's one of the ones that maybe shouldn't. Maybe not be in healthcare. I would, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it gets a little better. I mean, not really. Yeah. It kind of got a little worse okay. because that evening, you know, my roommates. I ha- I was blessed with the best roommates freshman year. There were six of us in an apartment, and we just became really close we it was kind of one of those instant best friends situations and I'm so grateful for them they it was about 9 p.m and they knew I wasn't feeling good and so they were like you know what it's a school night but who cares we're going to watch a movie with you and get kind of get your mind off of how bad you're feeling that's nice it was they're (laughs) so precious and then suddenly I kind of stopped like I it took so much effort for me to breathe and, um, of course, this this was also, I should mention, this was in 2017. So this was very much pre-COVID. Okay. Um, and they were like, oh, no. One of them, her dad was an emergency room doctor. So she called him and asked, you know, is this something that we take her to the emergency room for? And he said, well, f- try this first. Um, it was October, and so the air was kind of chilly. Mm-hmm. And he said, take her outside. Sometimes cold air kind of shocks the lungs open. Right. And so we did that. We uh, Several of them took me outside, and we waited for about 10 minutes like he suggested. And either it wasn't cold enough or it just, you know, it just didn't work. And so he said, yeah, take her into the emergency room because I don't know what this is, and it's not, you know, you don't want to mess around so with breathing. Uh, so we all piled into my friend's, my roommate's car and went down to the emergency room. It turned out I had both bronchitis and laryngitis simultaneously. Oh my goodness. And I also, I found this out years later, but ever since I moved out here, out of state to college, I've had some kind of severe allergic asthma that was also kind of exacerbating it. Um, So triple... A triple combo. Pretty much, yeah. And so, but the thing is is that the I had told the ER doctor that I saw um, that I had gone to a doctor that day before, and he was like, you should have been able to catch this, you know, because your lung sounds can tell a lot. And he's like, yeah, you were wheezing, like nothing else, and having some other, uh, they call them like adventitious lung sounds, basically means something's something's up, something's not quite right. right. And anyway, so I had to spend about five or six hours in the ER getting a uh, nebulizing breath treatment that opened up my um, my bronchioles and my lungs enough for me to breathe. 
and thankfully I was I didn't have to stay I was discharged from the ER at like three in the morning <laughs> and all my roommates stayed Aww. they were wonderful that's so, so sweet I yeah, I was not happy with that doctor for many reasons. Yeah, it, it sounds like he was not really doing his job, at least from what it sounds like. He didn't sure. catch the triple combo thing you were going through, and yeah. he did not test you for celiac. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, of course, every like no one is perfect, and so sometimes things do slip through the cracks despite our best effort but I think I already had that mindset of he didn't take me seriously so why would he try and so I don't know maybe he did try maybe just to slip through the cracks but either way I was not impressed with how he treated me and so I decided especially after having to go to the emergency room that I was going to wait until I went home for Christmas in December and go to my childhood pediatrician and talk to her about it. She, when I saw her, she said, oh, absolutely, let's get you a celiac panel. She's like, you never know. Um, She's like, I kind of, she's like, I'm not sure if it will yield anything because typically celiac disease does run in families and I have no familial history of it. So she's like, you know what? Better safe than sorry. We're going to check. Well, my tissue transglutamase levels, which is what they're called, uh, came back elevated. And so at that point, that that in and of itself is not necessarily a definitive celiac disease diagnosis. Next step is I had to, well, first of all, for the blood test, you have to eat gluten for three days beforehand. Oh. Because you need to see if when you eat gluten, there is that reaction. Right. And so... Um, that sounds terrible. It was it was kind of rough, but also it was a good chance for me to um, eat some of the foods I had been missing. Yeah, <laughs> and possibly enjoy them for a last time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so when that came back as elevated, she said, "Okay, well, I will send in an uh, a request for you to have an upper endoscopy. Is what it's called a uh, an upper gastroduodenal." gastroesophago nope sorry I can't remember the name (laughs) it's okay I won't I won't understand you (laughs) it's like it's a bunch of little words from medicine um and what it does is it takes a biopsy of your small intestine and looks Mm -hmm. to see if those villi that I described before if they were mowed down or not but to do that you have to go on gluten for between four and six weeks wow so that was really hard. Four and six weeks. Like between, between four and that, six. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's when I more did kind of the splurge of, ooh, I'm going to eat all okay. these things that may be my last time uh, eating. And got the got the biopsy results, and they said it – they don't give a positive or negative. They said it was very, very indicative that my cilia were just flattened. Oh my goodness. And so I bet you were just thinking, I told you so. Yep. Like, I I almost I was very <laughs> close to calling the health center and just be like, Can you can I leave a message for this doctor? Put on doctor <laughs> blah blah blah. Yeah. <laughs> and I just want him to know that he was wrong. It was not all in my head. <laughs> I think I would have. <laughs> so good it's kudos so to close. you for not doing it, because I probably would have. <laughs> Yeah. And so that just, so that sparked, you know, like a whole lifestyle change and yeah, just, I had to relearn 
everything I knew about eating uh, while I was in school, taking my nursing school prerequisites and feeling I like the effects from that month of eating gluten were very extreme for me. Mm -hmm. For some people, it's not as extreme. But for me, I was just so drained of energy all the time. I was still just really sick, really recovering. And it took months for me to get back to a good level. So on your own, you had decided to cut out gluten Mm -hmm. because you thought that was what was causing it, right? Exactly. So, but then you had to go back and do the four to six weeks of it. Mm -hmm. So how long were you off gluten before having to do the four to six weeks? I had been off of gluten for about seven months at that point. Okay. And then I'm assuming up till now you haven't had it since. Mm-mm. That's crazy. Not intentionally. Sometimes okay. in the celiac community, we call it getting glutened. Oh, and like sometimes from a restaurant or something. Yeah, it actually has not quite as much been from restaurants. Um, you know, I've tried to help my family understand, like when I'm home for the holidays and whatnot. But um, one time my sweet grandmother forgot that she had put breadcrumbs in a dish but it was like really hidden it was only you know it was only like a little bit and so that was the one time that I got really really sick okay other times it's been just little traces so when there are like those things now when there's gluten in a meal or something you notice it like immediately pretty much or um it kind of varies actually okay anywhere from like half an hour after I eat to sometimes it even takes until the next day And I feel it, and I'm like, oh, boy. (laughs) And then I have to think back and kind of be like, okay, what was the culprit? What can I do to prevent this? So it can cause some anxiety around eating. Um, I think I've heard of that most consistently from other people with celiacs, which can also make things like social functions where food is provided. It can be kind of awkward when either you have to bring your own food or you're not eating anything and you know people keep offering you food and you have to decline and explain I'm sorry I'm you know you say allergic because right. it's hard to explain um the, the fullness of celiac disease do you find that people are mostly understanding and cater to like your needs or yeah. sometimes not so much yeah I have found that um people have been really really good about it okay. um sometimes they still don't understand completely but they more like feel bad like oh I'm so sorry that you can't eat anything here and like it's fine like I promise that sometimes it is really hard but at this point it's very much a part of my life now so I'm very used to it so now are you still like lactose intolerant and then gluten intolerant so you don't know either of them yeah oh so good question so um the thing about lactose intolerance with celiac disease is lactose intolerance in and of itself is just um, a lack of the lactase enzyme, which is what digests the lactose, which is the sugar in milk and dairy products. Okay. In celiac disease, that lactase enzyme is destroyed. But oftentimes when you start eating gluten-free and your, and your intestines start to heal, you can tolerate dairy again. So I actually am fully able to eat any kind of dairy products I can drink cow's milk oh that's everything so that has been a big blessing did you miss it I did yeah (laughs) I mean and it honestly makes me feel sympathetic for people who you know have to go and try and eat like dairy-free cheese to me it's 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 come a long way and they there are some really good brands that are pretty close to the real thing but I was really glad to eat just normal cheese again (laughs) oh cheese is so good I love cheese (laughs) cheese is amazing (laughs) So overall, 
do you have like a couple of main things you would say you learned from your experience? Because it just, it sounds like it was a really hard period of time. And then after that, did you feel a lot better? And you were like, wow, this is like a whole different life. Because Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It does. I, I actually feel really, um, I feel really, really blessed because once, because celiac disease is also mostly diagnosed in children. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when it's caught. And that's where the time between like onset of disease symptoms and diagnosis is like maybe six months. Right. Um, thankfully, mine was less than a year, but that's very rare for an adult because in adulthood, they look at more problems um, like Crohn's disease, which is another autoimmune disease that does uh, target the small intestines. Um, things or a lot of things like irritable bowel syndrome. Um, and so I think it's my like it took me less than a year. And so just the difference from that year mark of when I started feeling really sick to that year later, it just was a massive difference. I felt so much better. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so what would you say, like, when you tell this, you share your story, mm-hmm. what would you um, tell someone else, like, the lesson that you learned from it? Mm-hmm. What would you say, okay, this is what I learned and this is what you can take from this or something? Yeah. I would say definitely you need to learn how to advocate for yourself. Yeah. Because especially in a healthcare setting, you are not always going to interact with healthcare providers that have your best interests at heart. And of course, not everyone will know what a a doctor or a nurse practitioner or anything will know, but you should if you can see someone who validates your health problems and who is willing to work through them with you. Yeah. So I would say definitely learn to advocate for yourself. And sometimes too, things really do happen so that down the road you can help someone else. Mm-hmm. I have met quite a few people um, when I, you know, I was living in another state after my diagnosis that were having stomach problems and had never heard of celiac disease. And they'd been trying for months and months to find out what was wrong. And so I told them my story and one of them, she got tested and it was negative, but they found some, they found out the real problem through that process. Oh, wow. And so, um, I'm really glad. I mean, of course, I don't know if I choose to have it, but it's, I really, I'm trying to make the best of it. I feel the same way, like, with scoliosis and everything. It's like, I don't know if I can say I'm, like, happy or, like, you know, completely. I I don't know if I would choose to go through it again, but, like, I feel like now, because of what we've gone through, we're different people. Like, Mm -hmm. we're stronger and we've just learned a lot from it. Completely. Um, So now I think we're going to move on to a little bit of a different section. We're just going to talk about how caring for yourself now will make a huge difference later in life. Yeah. And so first I want to give a little disclaimer that um, I'm going to be using some examples from uh, clinical experiences. However, um, I will not share any personal information that is protected under the United States Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, also known as HIPAA. And we also wanted to make it clear that 
um, this advice and this information that we discuss is not to be taken as medical advice. And if you are having some health challenges or illness, please see your healthcare provider. Perfect. All right, so we've split this kind of up into a few different sections of important aspects of health. And the first one we're gonna be talking about is nutrition. Um, so I think nutrition is a pretty general category, but mm -hmm. there's a lot that we can focus on and talk about. What would you say, I don't know, when it comes to nutrition, do you have anything to share or say? Oh yeah, so I'm of course having to eat gluten-free and everything, I'm very passionate about nutrition um, because that's also in, the United States, that's not really something that a healthcare provider looks at right off the bat when it comes to health problems. Mm -hmm. And it's just so important, though, because your nutrition, what you take into your body, uh, it just changes how your body operates. Right. And so it's really hard, too, when we are, I, can, I think I can confidently say that we're a very strong diet culture. Definitely. And sometimes it really gets on my nerves <laughs> because the thing is, is that there's no one size fits all option to nutrition. Um, and a lot of the data that we see um, mainly from, you know, myplate.gov and all that is it is evidence based, but it is outdated evidence right. and research. And it also is kind of weird to me that they'd recommend what like a one size fits all option, right? Yeah. Because everybody is very different and your different calorie expenditures and activities have different nutrition requirements. Yeah. So what would you say someone can do to learn more about themselves or to know like what's best for them when it comes? I don't know if there's an answer, mm -hmm. but like how can someone know like what's going to be best for them when it comes to nutrition? For sure. I think part of it is going to be a little bit of trial and error. Yeah. Um, one of the best bets is like always good to add good fruits and vegetables mm -hmm. and to try and limit your processed foods because processed foods, to, just to be frank, they just don't really have a lot of nutritional value and they have a lot of um, processed carbohydrates, which don't offer the benefits of complex carbohydrates, right. you know, like the, your good fiber and all that. And so I think that's a very safe bet to start. Do you like to shop at a specific grocery store or anything or like farmers markets or how do you find those kinds of things when you're looking for food? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I honestly, as a college student, uh, I also don't have a car, so I get around on the bus system. Mm -hmm. But I go to just whatever grocery store is closest to me. Um, and I, one thing I like to do is kind of pick an area of the world when I'm looking for something new to try or like a new dish and just kind of research what dishes are popular in that area of the world. So I found a lot of really good like Mediterranean recipes. I found some really cool um, like different variations on sushi or like mm. I make a lot of rice bowls. So you like to make things more from scratch? Is what mm -hmm. you're okay, I do. Awesome. Yeah. I, we've been trying it a little bit more. Quinn and I like to like make meal plans at the beginning of the week and I we're trying it. to make it from scratch uh, rather than going in the freezer section and saying, here's a meal or <laughs> whatever. So Definitely. yeah, I think 
That's a good point. Making yeah. it from scratch probably allows for less processed foods. Mm -hmm. And you have more control over what's in it. Like, for example, if you have, um, if you need to be on like a salt restricted diet, it's easier for you to control how much salt is going to go in there. True. And um, I mean, that's really smart of you and Quinn to plan out. That's another thing that you can do is um, plan out what you're going to have ahead of time. So then you're less likely in the moment to be hit by cravings. Right. Yeah. Or, oh, walking through the freezer section, this looks good. I'm going to have this for dinner tonight. When it, when we're talking about like cravings and stuff, um, what is your like motto or what's your, what do you think or, you know, what would you share about listening to your body when it comes to cravings? Do you think mm -hmm. you should ever restrict or should you like, I don't know, follow all your cravings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of interesting. And I know we kind of joke about this, about, oh, with PMS, like you get cravings for different things. And, you know, I think a lot of women do experience that. And I think within reason, I mean, if, if you are craving something good, of course, that could be your body talking to you and saying, hey, I need this. Um, I actually did some research because I was really curious about the kind of salt and sugar cravings. And it hasn't been heavily researched in like an academic sphere. Interesting. Yeah, but I did find that Cleveland Clinic and Mayo Clinic put some, um, some I guess, guideline information. Okay. Uh, nuggets you could call them about the different cravings and the one thing that I noticed between like a similarity with if you're craving salt something salty and something sweet is they said you need more protein oh. and protein is not really found in processed foods so that kind of ties back so it might be a good idea yeah. and we're not saying cut out processed foods you know that that can be really difficult right. and especially you know there's that time when you're really busy and you just need to eat yeah and it's probably cheaper sometimes yeah sometimes yeah. sometimes and so one thing that you can do is if you find yourself having a lot of consistent cravings try adding some more protein to your diet um plant-based um meat-based you know whatever fits your diet uh they recommend that that and and hydrating yourself mm. could also drinking enough water mm -hmm. yeah I feel like those are both things I could work on and I always get like salt and sugar cravings so yeah me I'm too have to <laughs> me too I've noticed as I have tried to implement more protein in my diet I have mm -hmm. noticed it less oh well I'm I'm still working on the rehydration part right. it's so hard <laughs> it is really hard I don't know why it's so hard to remember yeah. to drink water seriously <laughs> we'll have to work on that yeah we, we can be accountability buddies definitely. on that definitely <laughs> Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, is that if you're having salt cravings, um, the Cleveland Clinic was talking about how there are four different salts that we need, uh, sodium, magnesium, potassium, and calcium. And just in the classic American diet, we we are great on on sodium. In fact, we kind of exceed it, right? Yeah. But it kind of comes at the cost of maybe we're not eating enough magnesium or potassium or calcium. Hmm. But we also don't want to just reach for supplements. Okay. Because first, the supplement market is heavily unregulated. Yeah. Um, I actually once, when I was taking nutrition and we were talking about um, vitamin upper toxicity limits, that's basically when you have too much of a vitamin and it can cause a lot of problems in your body. Mm -hmm. I found, I went to the uh, grocery store and I was kind of looking at the labels and there were a couple of them that one 
one dose of their vitamin was dangerously approaching the upper toxicity limit for that mineral. Wow. Yeah. I First of all, I had no idea. Like, I feel really, I don't know. I, I had no idea there were like four different salts that we needed. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't really aware about like magnesium, potassium, calcium. Um, but that's really good to know. And yeah. I am the kind of person I like some supplements Mm -hmm. but that's good to know that also like you need to be aware of yeah how much it is for sure and if you need supplements of course like I have to take a supplemental vitamin d and I just found out that I need to start taking vitamin b1 because of celiacs especially a lot of people with celiacs have to be on supplements so that you know we can get enough of our nutrients um but just saying check out your check out your supplements make sure that they're not you don't want to see that something says it's it's 300 500 percent of your daily value because chances are because a lot of vitamins too are fortified into food especially things like breakfast cereal so you know just kind of make sure that you, you keep an eye on that if you do choose to do supplements and a lot of those salts that we need the magnesium potassium calcium a lot of them are found in like vegetables and fruits mm-hmm. and um so like we kind of talked about earlier adding in fruits and vegetables is a really good place to start awesome yeah i think that's really smart i think like i mean at least potassium is in potatoes or bananas or something right <laughs> yeah so potassium <laughs> is found in like broccoli avocados uh, bananas, of course. Okay. It's it's in a variety, and so you should be able to find something that you like that has different, uh, like, vitamins and salts and minerals in them. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Um, are we ready to move on to the next section? Is there anything about nutrition, anything else you want? Um, I do. One thing for sugar cravings that I would like to say, because those are the ones that I get most often, mm-hmm. if you are hit with a sugar craving, try and pair it with something healthy. So, you know, do like chocolate covered almonds or I I say chocolate a lot because I love chocolate or like chocolate drizzled over bananas or honey over bananas. Mm -hmm. I have that's one of my favorite desserts. That's, you know, a little on the less side of offensive to your body than the kinds of sugar stuff I crave, like (laughs) candy. (laughs) Right. I still, you know, it's it's fine in moderation for sure. For sure. But yeah, then I think. Yeah, I think I'm ready to move on. Awesome. Okay. Just the next section is all about exercise. Um, And this is something I love talking about. I love trying to get in my daily movement. Um, What is your favorite kind of way to exercise your body? I love dancing. Dancing. That's so fun. Like just dance or like dance dance. Oh. (laughs) Because I'm a just dance kind of person. I mean, just dance is really cool too. That's what I did growing up. And now I do kind of a little of both. Depends on my mood. Um, But yeah, because I honestly, Michaela, I look up to you in a lot of ways because (laughs) you're able to run and like you enjoy running. Yeah. And honestly, I'm just not a person that enjoys running. Yeah. I've tried to make myself run and I never stick with it. And, you know, I really wish I could be a runner, but <laughs> it's hard. Like, it takes a while to get into it and yeah. everyone has their strengths and it, dancing is not my strength. <laughs> so you've, you've got me there. <laughs> no, that is all. Like, again, we need all types to make the world go True. around. So. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that about you. That's so cool. Yeah. And so I, I just I'm a really big believer in do whatever kind of exercise 
is like that you enjoy right and some people like really in fact one of my nursing instructors owns a jazzercise studio oh fun yeah and so she loves kind of similar to me just dancing while working out Mm -hmm. some people really like um you know doing ellipticals versus like running Mm -hmm. so you know you want to you do want to have a well-rounded fitness routine but also round yourself out with activities that you want to do that you like doing because it's not going to be like sustainable if you don't enjoy it exactly yeah what what other kinds of exercise do you like to do Michaela I like to try to make sure I'm just walking daily so especially this semester I've been trying to walk everywhere instead of driving I like it it's just making sure not only am I getting my steps in but I'm just being active in the moments where I wouldn't normally be active Mm -hmm. and like enjoying nature and I feel like just putting myself outside and it's it's been really fun um, Love it. Other than that, I think so. I mean, running, and then I like weightlifting too. So yeah, yeah. Those are get my built. Main ones. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So I really like that. Just like listening to your body and figuring out what you enjoy most, and finding a way to implement that. Mm-hmm. It's probably the best way to yeah get it done. And something interesting that I found recently too. Um, is a growing it seems like a growing area of research and for um for biological females it's called female cyclical training oh. or like sick oh, like menstrual that. cyclical yeah. training exactly and it's it's really interesting it's based off the idea that men and women um biologically are different and oh. function differently Which kind of seems like a no-brainer. No, I know. And, I mean, I could go into a whole side tangent about, like, women were not included in uh, research trials for the longest time. (laughs) Yeah, and so a lot of these fitness programs have been coinciding with male hormonal cycles. Right. And males have a 24-hour hormonal cycle, and we have a 28-day hormonal cycle. And so there are times in your menstrual cycle and in your hormonal cycle that you have more of this kind of hormone and so this is the time you want to set PRs you can work yourself harder and then other times when oh the you know your hormones have dipped it's you know it's a nice rest and recover time do some yoga walk you know low impact exercise so I'm trying that out actually really mm-hmm and I've only been doing it for like two weeks, so okay. I'll have to keep you updated. Definitely. But that's something if you're interested to look into, there's a lot of growing research on it that's proving that it actually helps you as a, a you know, as a biological female, it can help you lose weight better and healthier and it helps you build muscle that lasts. I love that. I love how it just shows that like knowing yourself, knowing Mm -hmm. your your own cycle, how your body works, like really pays off. It does. It really does. That's awesome. It's so important. Okay. Um, Yeah, the last thing is just when it comes to exercise, I think it's really important not to overdo anything. Mm Um, because I know like sometimes, especially in the beginning of the year with like, you know, New Year's resolutions and people are saying, okay, I'm going to go every single day and I'm going to, you know, work out maybe even two times a day. Some, there's a challenge called 75 hard. That's like working out two times a day. Oh my gosh. Um, but anyway, I know sometimes people I've 
been guilty of overdoing it myself in the past and it it's easy to burn out from that Mm -hmm. it's not sustainable definitely so yeah just don't overdo it make sure you're having enough time to recover Mm -hmm. giving your muscles rest is just as good for them as working them yeah i love that Mm -hmm. okay um next section is mental health um have anything oh my goodness this is a big big (laughs) that is a big topic yeah so i mean i don't want to take up uh yeah too much time in the podcast but just i think the most important thing of course is you deserve to feel loved um especially by yourself and please there are lots of mental health resources there are even many free mental health resources and if you are interested i mean i know that local suicide hotlines local like uh depression hotlines are always in need of volunteers so if you feel like that is something you would enjoy i would highly encourage uh you to look into that because we all need each other and you know sometimes maybe you're the one who needs to uh call someone and other times you're the one getting called and it's i i think that there's just too much division and we need to erase those lines of division i love that yeah i think there is a like a stigma around some mental health Mm -hmm. um issues and i just think yeah i love that just being willing to also give in that sense you know like if you are if it's something that you think you'd be able to do or you'd be good at yeah I never thought about that but that's a really good point yeah I know they definitely are always in need of volunteers um just another quick thing I just remembered I did some research about two years ago because wintertime is a really hard time right you have seasonal affective disorder a very real thing and the sun is not out as much in many parts of the country and the world and something I did some research about how people in the arctic circle when you have three or four months without sunlight you know how do you function Mm -hmm. something that they talked about is even when it's cold like bundle up and go outside yeah just going outside can raise your mental health so much yes i totally agree because like i said i've been trying to go outside more often and i'm feeling so much better than Mm -hmm. like when i am not outside as much so yeah completely to that but no i think that's a really good point and that and that kind of ties in with like social health too like go with a friend go with someone you know uh go just for like a little 10 minute walk and that connection i mean as a former introvert (laughs) um as a current introvert, (laughs) like you know sometimes i mean we're still as human beings we're wired for connection yeah we all no matter how introverted and shy we are we still want to feel like we belong and so going on that walk with someone it'll help your like social health your mental health it's great yeah all of it at once physical health because walking yeah (laughs) It's great. That's a good challenge. That's a, we'll have to, yeah, challenge anyone who wants to, to just go outside on a walk with someone else. Mm-hmm. Just five, ten minutes a day. Yeah. That's all it takes. All right. I think the last one that we wanted to talk about to wrap things up is spiritual health. And this one is kind of interesting. I think a lot of people 
well, it applies to everyone, no matter like what your beliefs or your religion may or may not be. Um, being in tune with your spirituality is really important to your health or wellness as a whole. Yeah. And um, now I'm going to I'm going to talk a little bit about what I've seen um, with being a student nurse is that spirituality does not equal like religiosity, right. you know, and you can tell the difference between patients that have cared for themselves spiritually versus those that have not. And the ones that do care for mm-hmm. themselves spiritually um, are more, they are a little more positive, even in the face of like a bad diagnosis, of course, still distraught and upset, but have like being in touch with just your inner self and with the world, it just mm-hmm. really can give you a quiet strength that it's not flashy. It's not loud. It's not anything big that you can look at someone and see, ah, yes, that person has uh, worked out spiritually, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But it makes a difference in those moments when you need it. So what would you say that looks like, like working out, like you said, working out spiritually? <laughs> I think it kind of goes along with mental health for sure, but I think it looks a little different for everyone. Yeah. Some people really like to meditate. Meditation yes. is a very good time to just kind of calm your brain down and be in touch with yourself and the present moment. Uh, some people that look kind of like what you were saying, you like to take walks in nature. That's very... Yeah. That's very spiritually fulfilling. It's connecting you to something larger than yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And something that I have recently discovered that I like to do when studying is listening to music or sounds at 432 hertz. And it's um, they have found that 432 hertz is the frequency of sound waves that the world, that the universe is at and so they've actually done some clinical trials where um with some emergency room nurses during the covid pandemic on their breaks had them listen to um to calming music that was tuned to 432 hertz versus 440 which is what like most things are tuned at and the nurses that listened to the 432 hertz music they their heart rate actually went down um, significantly Whoa. and they were it felt like they reported they were able to handle their stress a little better. That's kind of mind-blowing. It is. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to look up some 432 hertz sounds or something. Yeah, it actually, I I have tried it and it, it does, like it, it kind of is more pleasant to me. Really? It's not like this kind of big earth shattering, like light coming down for the heavens moment of the universe right. is in line. <laughs> no, but it's just, it's very pleasant. And I, it just kind of feels like, a, oh, that's nice. That's cool. So that's something that, you know, if you want to, if some people just really feel like they're not very spiritually inclined, that's yeah. maybe something a little bit. It, it is the frequency at which the world operates. And so maybe just something like that to. Yeah kind of dip your toes in the water trying it out yeah exactly yeah there's literally no harm from it um but it's just something that i have found is that it is so important what you do now will impact your health so so much in the future 
Uh, we kind of joke sometimes like, oh, your teenage years are the time to eat junk food because when you're older, it's, you know, you can't do it as much. Yeah. But we, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, maybe that's why you can't do it when you're older. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I actually have not thought about that before. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, and in, in nursing, we have something that we call compression of morbidity. Mm. And that's basically where we where you take care of yourself throughout your life so that, um, you know, in the end, when your life is when your final chapter is coming to an end, mm. the what we think of when someone's like body is shutting down, quote unquote, it's very compressed. Like, I'll give you an example. When I was working as a student nurse in one in one of the nursing homes, we had some um, residents that were in there that were in their 60s, like early 60s. We had a couple early wow. 50s. Wow. And a lot of them is because they could not take care of themselves anymore. And they had so many issues like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, all these things. And just talking with them, it's because, you know, their lifestyle was not good. And it, it all started when they were young and it's, it's never too late to start, um, you know, to change that. But it just made me really sad because the thing about compression and morbidity is sometimes in my family, we joke, like I could eat this donut or I could le- live three years longer, but that's actually not true. Really? It's not. What happens is, um, it changes how much of your life you'll be healthy. And so here's an example. My great grandmother, she passed away when she was 92 and she was a very active woman. She tried to eat well. You know, she grew up in the depression. She understood like how important like food is and good food and all that. She Mm -hmm. at the age of 80, she walked kind of jogged a 5K. Wow. Uh, she was a breast cancer survivor, wow. like amazing woman. She's my life idol. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, me too. I'm actually like my middle name is her first name. And Aww. so I try and, you know, I try and embody her, her spirit in that way. That's so sweet. Uh, but she, her, she was super active up until she only started getting kind of sick and slow the last two months of her life. And so she only was in a nursing home for about two months. Oh, wow. Okay. She, yeah. I see. And so, so her life, like, if she, she had a totally different option, she could have, you know, not eaten very well, not exercised, not really taken care of herself. She still probably would have died about the same age. That's what the research tells us. Okay. But she would have been sicker longer. Which is so really hard. It's so hard. Through. And it's so hard on your family watching someone waste away yeah. and just knowing that it's preventable. Yeah. And so that's kind of, that's me jumping on down off my soapbox, but. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Just do everything you can in your power to try to maximize, like, your wellness and your well-being and all these different aspects of your, you know, your health. Don't overdo it, but try to do, like, the best you can. Best currently. you can. Listen to your body. Yeah. You got it. Well, thanks for joining us today, Courtney. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right. See you next time, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Stronger Than Before podcast. I hope that this episode meant something to you. Please consider leaving a review or sharing this episode with someone who you think could benefit from it. Last but not least, you are so much stronger than you know, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. See you next time.